name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Declare with me that this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, let's say this together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Heavenly Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you'll open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear your voice, open our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything that you have in store for us. I decrease this morning so that you would increase. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We choose by a deliberate decision of our wills to repent, to turn away from everything sinful and to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us not be just mere hearers this morning, O God, but doers also of thine word, for thine word is truth. We bless you, and all the glory, the honor, and the praise belongs to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated if you can this morning. So today we are looking at goodness. And um, let me just ask you and... Uh, how do you define the word good? If I ask you to write a definition of the word good, what would that definition look like? Good is a word we use a whole lot. For example, we talk about good food, uh, good weather. We say have a good day. You did a good job. We even go as far as saying, it's a good distance from here. Many times we even say, I had a good time or I am having a good time. We even tell people, look good. You never look good. Go back and look for the thing. And look good. You see, the word is used in a, lot of, in a lot of many different ways. But if you look up the words good and goodness in the dictionary, you'll find the different categories for the word with three or four different uses or illustration under each category. Likewise, the Greek and the Hebrew words good and goodness in the Bible are varied and full of meaning. The Bible has much to say about goodness. One phrase we hear often is living the good life. Have you ever heard that people, you look at someone and, or someone look at you and say, you can't go on top because you now live the good life. Like, like life good for you. It's awesome and amazing sometimes. And uh, sometimes it's very hurtful when people look at even you and say you're living the good life. And you say to yourself, it's just because you don't know what I am going through. Why you say that? Because the truth is from, from the outside, we can say that people are living the good life when they really aren't. And so we, we normally estimate that based on what we see externally or what we see materially in people's life. And we have to be very careful in those pronunciations because we don't know uh, what's happening. I remember once saying, someone saying to me, um, how are you doing? And I said, in return, not as good as you. And he corrected me. This was when I was a teenager and he was a leader in the church in Kingston. And he said, he corrected me. And he said, you don't know if I have some terminal condition. 
And what you're speaking over your life is that you're worse off than me. You never know what people are going through. I had a conversation yesterday when I'm um, just talking to someone and a, a discussion came up about how people had certain things. And, and, and one of the, the, the main point of the whole conversation in the end was that, listen, don't get jealous of what people have because you don't know how they come by it. And maybe if you heard how they came by what they had, you'd, you'd say, listen, no way I'd want that. But many times we look at what people have and we say, boy, they're living a good life. In fact, it is the name of the sermon, living the good life. But what is the good life? What is the good life? And before I get to the handouts, there are three main things that people look at to say this is the good life. For some people, the good life means looking good. Amen? Like, like, maybe this is a female thing because, as you know, all females are beautiful. Thank you so much. But, according to female, not all men are handsome. But, 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 for female, all men must see all women as beautiful. Because beauty is in the eyes of the holder. And that only works on the female side. Not on the male side. <laughs> but in Jamaica, looking good is serious business. Color coordination. I mean, I mean, my, my wife, you know, uh, most times I, 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 I would say 99% of the time, I determine what I wear. But if the colors are off, I know. Like, like she, my wife input in my attire is when the colors don't coordinate. So like if I go wear like a pink shirt and a green pants, we're not going to go out together. That's an indication that either you need to change your pants or you need to change your shirt. Because color coordination in the scheme of what we consider looking good is important. Hairdos are important. All right? Fashion is important. Whatever it takes... We all want to look good. We place a high premium on good looks. But do you know the problem with looking good? Here's the problem. There is no universal standard. That's the problem. There's no universal standard. Because imagine with me a, a, a person, say, say a female, tries to transform. Because I, I understand that you know, females could transform. Like you could meet a female in the night and they're a different person in the day. Like makeup and hair and all different kind of additions. When they are subtracted, different person, transformation. All right? So imagine a person transform because that transformation makes a guy say, hey, you're looking good. And three years after, she meets an ex-guy. And the guy don't consider how she look now, good looking. Should have to then transform to please this other person. Making sense? If, if looking good is really what a good life is, then it's always changing. Because there are times when slim girl run place. And there are times when <laughs> run place. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, the pastor didn't say that. That just, that just came out. Thank you. Right, but, but it happens. No universal standards. It means that what look good, look, looks good to you may not look good to me and vice versa. So looking good means different things to different people and what is in fashion one day may be out of fashion the next. You can't base your life on that because you're going to spend all your money changing your wardrobe because styles are changing every day. The second thing is that some people think the good life means feeling good. As long as they're feeling good, that's the good life. 
And so they try to get all the things in life that would make them feel good. And that may mean sitting in a hot tub, going on vacation, having a good meal, or just sitting down and reading a book. Just finding what, what, what feels good and doing it. And people say, listen, that's the good life. Still other people think the good life means having goods. They set about acquiring stuff. They like all their stuff, but they want more. But then they find that all their stuff won't fit inside the place that they have. So they get a bigger place so that they can have more stuff. You see, these are the people who live the bumper sticker slogan. The one with the most toys wins. For these people, the purpose of life is to make money so they can get more stuff. They have stuffed their lives full of stuff. They can all they get and they get all they can. But the Bible presents a radically different picture of the good life. God teaches in his word that the good life is not based on looking good. It's not based on feeling good and it's not based on having goods. God teaches from his word that the good life is a life filled with goodness. But what exactly is goodness? If you want to know, you have to look at where the word good is first used in scriptures. Because it sets the precedence for what it will mean throughout the scriptures. So Genesis is the book of beginnings. Everything began in Genesis. Money, trade, love, hate, marriage, sex, everything began in Genesis. It's called the book of beginnings. So good Begun in Genesis, according to scripture. So Genesis 1 verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. God said, everything that I made is very good. Why was it good? Have you ever stopped and seen what made everything God made good? So man... And a whole and woman started out being good. With no additions or subtractions. With no wealth, no money, nothing of their own. The beginning of Adam and Eve was a beginning in goodness. No, not a day on the job. But they were good. Why? Why was it good? Because it was exactly the way God intended it to be. It was fulfilling the purpose for which it was created. Therefore, goodness means fulfilling a purpose. The good life is fulfilling the purpose that God created you for. It is being what God meant you to be. And once you're that, that's the good life. How do I know that I'm living a good life? I am fulfilling God's purpose on my life. You don't have to call a fan beautiful. But as long as it is cooling people, it is good. Amen? Whenever a thing stops fulfilling the purpose that it was designed for, we throw it away and say what? It's not good. In other words, when it stops working its purpose, it's time for it to get dismissed. So if we want to remain good, we have to continue to fulfill our purpose. And that's the good life. Amen. Do we have some agreement? Because we are laying the foundation so that we can change what our perceptions have been about good life. Because we thought like it was about material stuff. We thought it was about feeling good. You don't, listen, the fan don't have to feel good as long as it makes you feel cool. Amen. Listen, the TV don't have to be watching you back. As long as you can watch it, it is good. In other words, it's not what I get out of you. It's what I can give to you. As it lines up with my purpose. That determines a good life. So God made you for a purpose. 
And when you live the way God intends for you to live, you will be good in God's eyes. Other people may not see that way. They may want to evaluate your goodness based on money and feelings and looks. God says, listen, men look at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at your heart. As long as you're fulfilling my purpose, you are good in my eyes. And that's what matters most. Because we're not here to be measured up with people. And I think that's the problem. One of the problems we have is that too much of our life decisions about ourselves is based on how other people live. So we think we look good or look bad based on how other people look. We think we are rich or poor based on what other people have and don't have. And all the standards of our life must be based on God's word and not people. When you start comparing yourself with others, you are purposed or set up for failure. Amen? When you begin to fulfill purpose, your life will become meaningful. You will feel that you're doing what God intended you to do. So then, what we need to do then is find out what does God intend for us to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why are we created in Christ Jesus? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand so we would walk in them. So what is the purpose of our creation? To do good works. For good works. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. So the Christian life is a lifestyle of doing good. It's living in goodness. Doing good and living in goodness. But there's a problem. Because we are not naturally good. That's the problem. It's not our nature to be good. Why? Because we are all born with a natural inclination toward selfishness. We all like to have our way. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand this clearly. So let me talk to the parents. Have your kids ever lied to you? And don't tell me small lies. A lie is a lie. There's no white lie. Don't get racist with lies. There's no white lie because there's no black lie. Lies lie. Alright? There's no half truth. It's a lie or truth. There's no in between. Alright? Do your kids ever do anything wrong? I, I suppose the answer is yes to both questions. Alright? Then, did you teach your kids how to lie? No. I said, most, most parents don't teach your kids to lie. In fact, by the time your child lies, you say, I, I, you say I, but I've never even lied to you. Where did they get this from? Did you have to teach your kids how to do bad stuff? No. But here's what. It comes naturally. It is not in our nature to do good. And we believe otherwise. But I'm going to show it in scripture. You see, I don't have to teach my kids to be selfish. One of the first words that kids learn is mine. Humans have an innate tendency to do wrong and to be selfish. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Old Testament puts it this way. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. Isaiah 53 verse 6. So no. There is none of us who are naturally good. In fact even Jesus made a statement. No one is good. Except God alone. So look at the person beside you and say you are not good. Don't, don't say you are no good enough. Just say you are not good. Make sure you put a T on it. <laughs> Right? Like, we don't, we don't like to hear that outside of church. It is kind of okay. But let someone pass you on the street and say, you are not good. We get upset. Who you are talk to? How dare you judge me? How dare you say, do you know me enough to say that about me? But the Bible says it. No one is good except God alone. I know you look good. 
You feel good and you have good stuff. But you're not good. You smell good, but you're not good. Uh, this may shock you, but the truth is that a lot of times I don't want to be good either. In fact, a lot of times I like to sin. And we may not come back to church after this, but it, it is the truth. Sometimes I'd rather be unloving than loving. See, there are times when I'd rather uh, a, a smart remark than a kind word. Like yesterday was a good example of this. Yesterday, I went to pay a bill at a gas station and, and they took my phone to take the, the bill at the paymaster. The lady took the phone, she gave me back the receipt and she gave me back the bill. And I stepped out of the gas station, drove away and she had the phone. All right? I went back to the gas station because there's a tracker on it and it says it's at this gas station. It tells me exactly where it is. All right? And so I have the thing where it connects. And so when I, once I get to where the phone is, it shows me in the car. So I get to the gas station. And I get to the gas station and say, hey, I'm, I'm here for the... Like, I think it's no argument. Hey, I, thank you. I just came back for the phone. Phone? What are you talking about? I gave you back your phone. <laughs> I said, miss, please give me my phone. I don't want an argument. Just give me my phone. I don't know what you're talking about and thing. So I said, the supervisor said, I said, come, I can show you. The car says the phone is in here. And the thing, I gave her back your phone and all kind of things and all kind of, you know, so, I mean, I'm beginning to lose it right now because I'm thinking, over one phone, miss, you're going to make me have an argument over a phone? C- come on, do better than that. You're going to lose your job over a phone? Over a phone? All right? So the phone is called and it's ringing. And it's, oh, this is, this is the phone? You know what? You know, you know I hear the phone ring, but I just, I just never know. I, I, I never know that a phone was there ringing. And she, and she gives me the phone. I, I will tell you that I, I wasn't very kind. Yeah. Because I said, listen, you have a job on your T-phone? You can't, you can't have a T-phone and you have a job, man. Because after... So I, said, I started saying to her, really, I started saying, listen... After you get the phone and you lose your job, you're going to lose around four months' pay before you get the next job. So it worked out better you save the four months' pay, lady, and buy a phone. And keep the job. But don't thief it and lose the job and you're not going to get back no work. That was not nice. I could have just waited patiently, took the phone, and not responded. And said, God bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you. <laughs> and say, listen, would you, I'm inviting you to church. And that, that would have been the better thing to do. But at that time, this inclination, I'm telling you, sometimes I just want to be mean. Sometimes I am lazy. Sometimes I just don't care. Sometimes I can hardly stand being around people, much less being around myself. I've been honest with you, but the truth is, I am a walking civil war. I know what I should do, but I just don't want to do it. Amen. Is there anyone else who has this problem? You know what is right, but you just do want to do wrong. You know what is the right thing to say, but you want to give them peace of your mind because they deserve it. You know you're supposed to help them, but then keep wasting the money every time you give them. And you want them to feel a little suffocation for no life hard. You, you will feel like you will feel like that. Like, you know what? All right, all right. I'm going to set for you. Wait until next time. Ha! You you I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, I know you're not going to listen to me again, but I'm being honest. Have you ever been, like, really bad driven on the road? I have make a boy, no say. And him alone can bad drive. So you're going to show him that you can drive. You can be a bad, bad driver better than him. 
She just driving back bad. And slow down in front of him. And I know you don't go through that. You're good Christian people. But I'm just talking about me. You understand me? But, but, but I, I'm glad that I am not alone. I'm glad that Paul was like me. Because Paul says in Romans 7, 19 to 20 and, and 24 to 25, he says, For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But here's the fact, church. The good news that as bad as we are uh, in our sinful nature, God works in us and through us at the same time. Do you recall the verse I read earlier from Ephesians 2 verse 10? It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we'd walk in them. You see, this means that God is at work in our lives right now. He knows a, a stubborn heart. He knows our selfishness. He knows our rebellion. Yet he is still at work in us and through us. And I love Philippians 2.13. It says, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One translation says it is contemporary English version. Philippians 2.13 says, God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey him. Hallelujah. By God's grace and power, he's changing us. He's changing me. Thanks be to God. I'm, I'm a work in progress. I'm not what I used to be, right? And I'm not what I am to be. I'm being changed by God. Hallelujah. I'm not stuck in this place. So when you meet me again next year, I'll be better. Some of these things that I struggle with, I'm not struggling with them next year because I'm a work in progress. Don't be a work in stagnation, no. Make sure that you are a work in progress. So Timothy 3 verse 1 says, Be ready for every good deed. Become ready for every good deed. So I'm going to give you five simple suggestions to help you to be ready for doing good, for living the good life. If I want to live the good life, what five things I can do? I'm going to go through them quickly. So here you go in your notes. The number one thing, the first thing you have to do, you have to master your Bible. That simply means you have to become a student of God's word. If you want to live the good life, if you want to practice goodness, if you want goodness to be a part of your life, the first thing you'll have to do is master your Bible. Become a student of God's word. That is why we have Bible study and small groups and church on Sunday. That is why people do devotions. Why? Because it's important that you understand God's word and you become a student of God's word. It means that you're supposed to read your Bible, study your Bible, memorize your Bible, fill your mind with it, and fill your life with it. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Memorize the Bible. Fill your mind with it, and fill your life with it. Right? So, it's okay. Listen, how you read your Bible? Reading your Bible is when you get the devotions, and it says, uh, it teaches you something, and it gives you five verses, and you read that. You don't study. To study means you take it Word and text and, and chapter by chapter and verse by verse. You look at its context. You look at its content. You look at the culture that is in. You see the consistency throughout scriptures. You spend time. You get other books to look at and match up stuff. You study a Bible. Then you begin to memorize it. Meaning, every time you read the word of God, you need to find a promise in there that applies to your life. Begin to quote it. Pray it over your life. Memorize it. Why? You know why people say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper and every tongue risen against me in condemnation will be proven wrong because this is our heritage as children of the most high God and our righteousness is of him says the Lord. Why? Because somebody at some point felt like I was going through warfare and needed to memorize and pray the scripture. You have to memorize the word to speak it over your life. 
Why is all of this important? Why can't I just come to church and listen to people? Why can't I listen to the radio? Why I have to read the Bible? Here's why. You have only two sources from which to develop your values. You're forming values. What are values? Values are, are these things that you... It, it, they, are, they are the boundaries of your life. You know, like on a football field, there are lines. And if you go outside of the lines... It's a throw, you're out of bounds. So you have to play within the lines. Amen? Values are those lines. To stay in bounds, your life needs values. Your values are developed by two sources. The world system or the word system. But the choice is up to you. It's either the world is going to form your values or God's word it's going to form your values. It simply means if you're not reading your Bible and studying your Bible and memorizing your Bible, your values are being formed by the world. And the only way you can change your value system is having the word override the world system. And that's why the scripture speaks about um, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is saying that get rid of the old stuff and get rid and put in some new stuff. Put in God's word because we have to. It's called, I, I call it replacement theology. Or replacement me mentality. In other words, I need to replace some old stuff and put in some new stuff. And that is why they will say to you, Christianity is not just about what you need to learn. But the things you need to unlearn. Because the world has taught us something that we need to unlearn. And you can, you will only unlearn stuff when you get new stuff to override what you have unlearned. We need to unlearn. Have to read your Bible. You're going to continue to practice carnal lifestyle if you continue to avoid reading, studying, and memorizing your word. Amen? You have to master the Bible. You have to master God's word. Paul says, in 2 Timothy 3 to 16. It says all scripture. All scripture. Even the one that says. The ones that says. And some beget ham. And ham beget pam. And pam beget lamb. And lamb beget nam. And nam beget dam. I mean all, all scriptures. I mean that's not actually in the Bible. I'm just giving an example. Right. <laughs> so don't go try and find it. You won't. All scriptures is inspired by God. And then it says, and profitable for teaching. In other words, every scripture in the Bible has benefit. It has benefit for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that, watch this, the man of God, man or woman, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Remember we're talking about the good life. If you want to do good work. You have to understand that it comes through applying the word of God, learning the word of God, training in the word of God. And then you become adequate and equipped to do the good work that, that you were created by God to do. So master your Bible if you want to do good. It is not enough to own a Bible. You have to use it. Come on, come on. You have to use your Bible. Say, you, come on, tell the person beside you have to use your Bible. And I don't mean to use it to put a bedside lamp on it. Or to cut your door. I mean, if you have to be dusting off dust off your Bible, you have a problem. If dust is on your Bible, you have a problem. When last have you read your Bible outside of church? I talk a good portion of the Bible. A Bible in the hand is worth two on the shelf. If I were to ask you if you believe the Bible from cover to cover, you'd probably say you do. But have you read it from cover to cover? Here's my question. How do you know you believe it if you don't even know what is in it? I believe the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. How do you know you believe it if you don't know what is even in it? Perhaps you're saying, I've heard this before. Well, I don't understand the Bible. Let me ask you. 
Did you understand marriage before you get married? Did you, did you go to study giving birth before you had a child? Or did you go... How, how long was the course on motherhood before you became a mother? Did you get a bachelor's degree in motherhood before you had a child? No. You just learn. You learn on the job. Husbands are learning on the job. Wives are learning on the job. Because as their spouse change, they have to change course. And when you think you have it all figured out, something else pops up. You see, we didn't even know math before we studied it. We all had to learn that one plus one equals four. Oh, okay, thank you. I just want to make sure you listen. One plus one equals two. There you go. Just, just checking with you. All right? But we started out simple. So do the same thing with the Bible. Get a good translation, one you can understand, and start reading it. Listen, if you want to study your Bible, um, the King James Version is not the best version to study. Because thou begeth it, Seth, and Seth haveth a brothereth who was it. Right? And, 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 and we don't speak that way anymore. Right? But here's what the King James Version is good for. It is good for memorizing scripture. Like most of the scripture that I've memorized is in the King James. But when I want to study, I use like a new King James translation. Because it is the English that we use right now. Alright, so when King, um, King James was, was doing the Bible, um, it, it was in England. And that's how they used to speak it. Bacchus in those days it. <laughs> so, get a Bible, get a good translation. Buy a Bible. Amen? Buy, buy, a, buy, a, buy a Bible. If you can buy a textbook, buy a Bible. Perhaps start in Psalms or in Mark. Just read. Are you going to understand it all? No. Neither do I. But I understand some, and sometimes some is enough. In fact, Mark Twain once said, It is not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It is the parts that I do that bother me. Right? So, he's saying, that, listen, the parts that I don't understand don't bother me. No. It's the parts that I understand that bothers me. Get a Bible. Amen. Master the Bible. Number two, you have to guard your mind. Learn to control what goes on inside your mind. If you want to live the good life, you have to determine what goes in. Because garbage in, garbage out. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. Some translation says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Sin always starts in the mind. Satan plants ideas called temptation in your head. If you nurture these temptations in your mind, they will become reality in your life. Because sin starts in your mind. So guard your mind. You have to be careful what you put in. Like, we don't understand that everything we look at, everything we listen to, everything we read, it registers in our mind. We don't know it until it comes out of us. And then when it comes out, we say, oh, I remember I was watching that movie, you know, that's where I got it from. Oh, I remember I was listening to that song, that's where I got it from. But we don't know that it's there sometimes until it comes out of us. And then we remember, oh, it's five years ago. Do you realize that there are some songs that you still know? Like if you, if you hear them now, you can sing a line of it. Because though you used to listen to it when you were 10 years old and 15 and 20, why? Because it registers in your mind. So this is important, especially for young people who think like nothing is wrong with listening to certain music, nothing is wrong with watching certain movies, nothing is wrong with reading certain books. Some things are not worth thinking about. Some things are not worth worrying about. Some things are not worth watching. Some things are not worth uh, reading. And some things 
are not worth listening to. So how do I determine what I should listen to or what I should not listen to? How do I determine what to watch and what not to watch? How many persons want to know, like, Pastor, how do I know what movies to watch? What movies not to watch? How do I know what kind of songs I must listen to? Because I can't just listen. I can't watch be a Christian movies. I must can't watch other, other movies. I can't just listen to Christian music. I must can't watch. But Pastor, I know you, you know, because you have world of music. You don't, don't bother come tell us like I be a Christian music you listen. We know you, Pastor. You know world of the song them. So how do you know? That's true. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a scripture. And if you want to know what to listen to, you use the scripture. And you kind of let it, if, if you don't pass the scripture test, don't listen to it. And don't compare my life with you. In other words, not because I listen to it, means that you can listen to it. I, I, I can listen to, from this moment, life has begun. Because I'm already, you're not ready for marriage yet, don't listen to that. Ain't no life begun for you from this moment. You're just 15 years old. But we think because somebody else do it, I can do it too. No, 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 no. Remember, I, I tell you this. Based on my past experience, my present circumstances, my future expectation, what is the wisest thing to do? There are some things that I can do that you can't do. Or you can do that I can't do. Alright? It's not, I, I mean... It's one of my friends. I mean, have six pack. And you, you know, when I, when I go to the beach, I wear proper clothes. Like, you understand me? I wear a short. You understand me? And I have on a marina. I mean, even when I had my six pack, had. You understand me? Because it has evolved. I used to wear a, a marina. Because I think, as a, as a minister of the world, when I go to the beach... Right, but I have a friend. So he has his six pack and him workout and things. You know the little brief like thing. That's, that's what he wear to the beach. <laughs> Say, my brother, what you doing? Say, he said, I don't know what they call him. Speedos. And and I was about to rebuke him. Say, oh yeah, Christian, we're wearing speedos to the beach, my brother. That that ain't right. But it's right for him. Because he has a six-pack and him ties them work out and stuff. And he's single. Him can't wear speedos to the beach. But when Pastor Ray going to the beach. Like, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Why are you laughing? <laughs> oh my Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So here's the scripture. Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. If you run what you listen to, what you watch, what you read through this, and it fails this test, then you don't have to listen to it. You don't have to watch it, and you don't have to read it. Amen? Third, you have to develop convictions. If you want to learn to do good, develop convictions. What do I mean by that? What do you stand for? What do you stand for? It has been said that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. You see, this is especially true in Jamaica's pluralistic society. Where everything is now being tolerated, except for intolerance. In other words, it's almost like you're told, accept everything. And if you don't fall into the accepting everything, something is wrong with you. Right? Do you feel like that? In fact, people, one of the big things now, and even Christians are being drawn into this. We are being told uh, to be open-minded. Because we love to appear open-minded. But the problem is that some people are so open-minded that their brains fall out. They don't stand for anything. Right? 
Listen, God did not ask you to be open-minded. In fact, uh, you're supposed to have a narrow mind, a transformed mind, a renewed mind, or a mind that is fixed on the Lord. We're not supposed to be no open-minded. Not everything is to be accepted. Amen? So don't be drawn into that. Because when you become open-minded, you become opinionated instead of being a person of conviction. Open-minded people have opinions and not convictions. Because when you have convictions, you're not open-minded. And when your convictions are based on the word of God, I don't have no opinion. So here, let me give an example. I have no opinion on homosexuality. So don't ask me my opinion on it. I don't. I don't have an opinion on homosexuality. I have a conviction as it relates to homosexuality. And my conviction is that it is wrong. It is sin. That's my conviction. And I'm going to stand by my conviction. Amen? So don't get me in a debate about my opinion. Don't tell me to be open-minded. I am convicted by the word of God that this thing is wrong. There is no open-mindedness where that is concerned. But, but what's the difference between an opinion and a conviction? You see, an opinion is something that you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. It means an opinion is something that you'll argue about. A conviction is something that you'll suffer and die for. I'm willing to die because I believe that this is wrong and I'm ready to die for it. Do you realize that Christians are supposed to hate some things? The Bible says that. We are supposed to hate some things. Romans 12 verse 9 says, Hate what is evil. Do only what is good. This is clear. We are supposed to hate evil. So we are supposed to love people, but if they do evil, we are to hate the evils that they do. So here's the thing. I love homosexuals. It's the same way I love you. But here's the thing. I hate homosexuality. Because it is evil, not based on my opinion, but based on God's word. And I have a conviction about that. So I don't hate the person. But I hate the sin. Number four, you have to dare to be different. You cannot live the good life and don't have this. To learn to do good, you must have the courage to be different from your culture. You must have the courage to be different from your culture. So the church and believers are trying to blend in instead of standing out. It's time for people to start saying, why are you so different? That's what they're supposed to say. They say, why, why are you so different? Why are you act so different? Why are you behave so different? I am supposed to be different. Why are you so strange? I am supposed to be strange. I'm not from this place. I'm an alien. It's okay to be weird. John tells us, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. John 3, 1 to 11. Do you remember the story of the three young Israelite men who wouldn't bow down to the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar? And were thrown into the fiery furnace. That's in Daniel chapter 3. You see, we have to understand the principle from the scripture. So when you are a person of integrity, you are going to go through the fire. You can count on it. But many of us refuse to go through the fire and choose to bow to the king. So many people will compromise standards and values and change their convictions to fit into a job. Instead of going through the fire of unemployment. 
Do you hear me? Many people bow to money instead of going through the fire of luck. You see, we all have fires that we must go through. And sometimes living with strong conviction comes with tough circumstances and consequences. But if you don't stand up for the Lord, then what are you really going to stand up for? Or who are you really going to stand up for? Is it speaking of heat? Let me ask you, are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Because you're one or the other. You see, a thermometer registers the temperature. It simply reflects its environment, whether it is hot or cold. A thermostat, on the other hand, controls the temperature. It influences its environment. It sets the standard. So the question is, which are you? Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? You see, you have a choice. You can either be an influence on the world or be influenced by the world. That choice is yours. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Dear to be different. It's okay to be different. Don't succumb to peer pressure. Don't allow people to cause it to fit into their mold. Set the trend. I'm telling the young people, listen, don't allow the system to suck you in. To tell you that you have to be this way. Society is becoming more like that. Everybody is telling you, you have to be this way to make it in this life. Like, like people will tell you, listen, you go to a place, you go to a certain place, you, know, you have to know, so you have to love up certain people, you know. And thing, you know, because if you, if you can't do that, you know, you're not going to get through. I'd rather go through the fire than compromise on my Christian convictions. I'm telling you. I'm not going to facilitate same-sex marriage because I want to remain a pastor. I'd rather come off the pulpit and go through the fire. than to do that because I stand by the convictions of God's word and I will choose to be different. I don't know about you, but the world will recognize that our God is real when we refuse to compromise to the things of the world. I'm telling you, the, re- the problem the world has is that when we are supposed to be different, we act the same. Like the, you are the one person who was supposed to say no. And you followed the crowd. You are the one person who was supposed to say, I am not going to cheat. I am not going to diss the teacher. And you followed them. The moment, listen, you should have been the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You should have been the Daniel in that moment. And even if you're going to lion's den, you can say to them, even if God don't deliver me, I'm going to hold on to my convictions concerning God's word. And I will say, listen, when my promotion come, my promotion came from the Lord. Like, like it was Abraham who said, listen, I don't want no man to say it is they who made me rich. Because when I get there, I don't want a man to say, who? I mean, make them man, they get, you know, them pos- have you ever heard politicians put in position and people say certain groups finance them? Finally, if you want to be ready to do good, you have to fellowship with other believers. We'll close with this, and I'm going to give you some instructions concerning this. You have to fellowship with other believers. And I'm not talking about coming to church and saying hi and bye, or giving a nice smile. That's the beginning. Fellowship like Jesus' fellowship. It means spending time with people. It means Going to people's yard and inviting people to your yard. 
That's how the church operated. Listen, church is not a place for who? Me, me, I come, me just a come and do what I have to do and go in my yard because me can't bother with them and mix up people here. Listen, come on, let me tell you something. You need hypocrites. You need mix up people. You need blend up people. You need boil up people. You need fry up people. You need all of them. You need some Judas around you. And you sit down and you eat with them. You have to have them. You need Peter around the table with you and you cook and you give Peter a full Peter belly. And Peter will tell people, say, oh, me don't know you. And you still look out for Peter. You need those. How do I know? Because Jesus Christ did it. Jesus Christ taught us how to fellowship. Jesus Christ did not look for the people who were all right. He looked for the people who were all wrong. And said, come let me fellowship with you. In fact, they call him friend of sinners. But you know who we look for? People who have it all together. Because we don't want our feathers to be ruffled. Is it ruffled? Ruffled. We don't want our feathers to be ruffled. Like we don't want the person to come at the yard and say, well, we can't eat out a pot. You, 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 know, you, you don't want to invite them to your house and then finish with the plate. And say, Boy, it's food sweet. <laughs> <laughs> because then they're going to have to throw away a good plate. Because they put, you know, they put them lip or your tongue on, on your good, good plate. Yeah, Jesus is saying, that's, that's exactly who you need at your house. Because when you can take care of those and fellowship with those, it shows that you really love people. Because it's easy to come to church and say hi and bye. It's easy to come to church and smile. Listen, right now, if, I, if one of Jamaica's most notorious come in here, him smile. And walk out. What difference is that? He could come in here and laugh with everybody and leave. Don't mean him love us. Love is seen when we are in this close setting. And we have all the issues. And we still choose to love and be our own people. I'm telling you. People treat me bad, you know. People, people treat me bad. I still hang out with them. Listen, sometimes they all say some things. And I still help them. Because I know that just a test of my love. Because it's one thing to see a love people. I cannot understand how a person will say, well, I am mature and they don't want to be around people. Wait to hear me. One of the qualities of the early church was that they supported one another. They met together regularly to challenge and encourage one another. In fact, the art of Hebrew tells us, and this is such a powerful uh, scripture, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. It says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, if you cannot hang out with God's people, something is wrong with your heart. Let me say it again. If you can't be around, believe us. I remember Brother Kevin always shared his testimony about when he just came to the church and how he felt. And he said he was not coming back. All right. Years later, he came back. All right. And he came to a men's fellowship. And he always said this. That when he went to the men's fellowship and he saw how the men were, were, were just hanging out and the pastor and everybody was there. He said, no man, I have to be a part of this church. Listen, when people come and see genuine fellowship, they want to be connected. And one of the things we must be careful of is that because of this pandemic, we don't grow in isolation from each other. Because fellowship is critical to maturity and growth. If you love people, you will hang out with people. Imagine with me, somebody said, I love you. The young lady, a lady, if you're out there, and, and I guess say, I love you from the bottom of my heart. With all that is within me. And then he says, but I just, I, I just can't spend no time with you. I don't want to be around you. So, 
but, but that's how we operate in church. Yeah, I love you, but I love you from a distance. I love you, but, but, but I don't. You, you understand me? I mean, pe- people say that. That's why we have cell groups. Because in cell groups, people, people, people go, people going to talk about you. In church, listen. I'm, I'm closing, right? If you're a believer, your business is our business. And if you have some business that we don't know, something is wrong with that business. Here's how I know. The Bible says this with Jesus. And he knew what was in their hearts. You see, if you have to hide it, something is wrong with it. No, everybody don't know, have to know everything. But when nobody knows nothing, something is wrong. You have some secret agents in church, you know. You only see them. They come in and out. They're, they're like, they're like f- f- fresh wind. What? They, you don't even know the name. See them for all two years. You understand me? You can't even call to them on, a, on the road because you don't even know if they want to call to. You're not even sure if you're supposed to speak to them when you see them out of church. Because they're not sure they want to be known or even to be spoken to. That's not how God designed his church to operate. Our fellowship with other believers is designed to encourage us to live good lives in an evil world. And so as Christians, we are not to imitate the world, but neither are we to live in isolation from it. To do this, we need one another. You see, you don't find soldiers going out on their own to battle with enemy forces. They go in groups because there is strength in numbers. And so the Bible says, one can empower him who is alone. Two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12. So as Christians, we need one another. And so I encourage you to fellowship with other believers. You see, the Christian life is not easy, but it is eternally worthwhile. Doing good is not always easy, but there is a reward. And so God says in his word in Galatians 6 verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so let me encourage you, you know, with all heads bowed, and all eyes closed. I want to pray with you. And I know some of you feel like, Pastor, I've been doing good. And the people are not doing back good to me. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. The scripture says, In due time, you will reap. I know you have been helping them as much as you can. And they seem very ungrateful. Don't lose heart. Because God will reward you. It's about living the good life, church. The world needs the church of God to live the good life in front of their eyes. So how do we keep on keeping on? We do it by mastering the Bible, by guarding our minds, by developing convictions, by having the courage to be different, and by meeting regularly with other Christians for support and encouragement. And so that is why we have cell groups resetting. Because we want to give you an opportunity to connect with a small group of persons who will grow with you and who you can help grow. Because the scripture says, if a brethren is overtaken in a fault, you who are more spiritual, help such a one, lest you too fall in that same area. And so Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you that you are working in us to will and to do according to your good purpose. We admit and acknowledge that by nature we are not good. But you are working in us, Lord God. Giving us godly desires. We want to fulfill purpose because the good life is 
is not about how good we look, how good we feel, or all the good stuff that we have. It's about fulfilling the purpose that you created us for. We were created for good works. And so we choose to do good works for you, Almighty God. We do that by mastering the Bible. We do that by guarding our minds. By developing strong conviction. By daring to be different. And by fellowshipping with other believers. Forgive us, Lord God, when we have downplayed the important of, importance of fellowship. Forgive us, Lord God, when we have uh, given up on our conviction and held on to opinion because we wanted to be open-minded. Forgive us, Lord God, when we compromise because we didn't want to be different. Forgive us when we have been unguarded at the mind level and allowed all kinds of things to come through our eye gate and our ear gate. We repent in the name of Jesus. And God, we, we commit into restarting afresh. Forgive us, Lord God, because we have even been lazy in studying your word and memorizing your word, reading your word. But we ask you today to give us a new desire for your word. We choose to fix our minds on you. We choose to be different. We choose to hate evil and love that which is good. We refuse to be open-minded. We choose to be Christ-minded. Give us a heart for fellowship, Lord God. For spending time with our brothers and sisters in faith. For your word said that where two or three of us are gathered in your name, touching and agreeing on anything concerning you, God, you're in the midst. They're off to bless. We can pray for one another. We can bear each other's burden. We can encourage one another to give us a heart for fellowship that we will love others in the same way you have loved us. God, we will love the Peters in our lives and the Judases in our lives and the, the doubting people in our life. We will love them. We, we love the ones, Lord God, just like you did, who want just promotions and positions. They want us for the things that they can get from us. We still choose to love them. Because you love those brothers whose mother asks a special position. Those who left you at the point of your deepest need. They run away out of fear. And sometimes we feel like that. That the people who we care for the most, they're not there when we need them the most. But we still choose to love them. God, we bless you. This is new beginnings. We thank you for the reset. Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Listen, come on, just stand to your feet with me this morning and give the Lord a big, 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 big hand clap. He's a great God. Come on. Hallelujah. Listen, we have four 